Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, forgotten taxpayers to the one and only independent conservative talk show, The Conservative Review Podcast. This is Daniel Horowitz, your host, back in the house here on Thursday, December 12th. Hey, how about my hot takes on impeachment? You want to hear about that all day? Well, no, I'm sure most of you who tuned in know that we have no interest in that because as a citizen, there's nothing you can do to influence that outcome. But I'm here to tell you we are all being impeached. Our national security is being impeached, although it's not just being tried and tested. It's being compromised in every aspect you can imagine. I look at Pensacola. I look at the news that just came out of Jersey City with that attack. And basically, you you take everything in and juxtapose it. Here's what's happening. We're letting out domestic criminals left and right, emptying our prisons, right? That's the Jersey City case. David Anderson, um, the main perpetrator there, turns out, was a repeat violent gun felon who wasn't locked up and only put on probation while New Jersey has the toughest gun laws on citizens. So let out domestic criminals. Invite an enormous amount of foreign criminals, transnational gangs, cartels, drug runners, drunk drivers, murderers galore I'm going to get to in a minute. Then bring in Saudis to train on our bases. Oh, then bring in an enormous amount of Chinese nationals that are engaging in an enormous amount of espionage. Senate Homeland Security Subcommittee just came out with a report on that. We will get to either later this week or next week. Oh, and by the way, U.S. citizens, your gun rights are going to go out the window. So now from all the domestic and foreign criminals we dump on your streets, well, sorry, you're out of luck. That is basically the predicament we are in, and that is continuing on every front under Trump. Now, a lot of it's not his fault. Some of it's the states, some of it's the sanctuary, some of it's the courts, um, but some of it does stem from federal policies on autopilot that he can get rid of. But, well, not much focus on that. What I want to talk about today with our special guest, the inimitable Jessica Vaughn from Center for Immigration Studies, is a report that just came out annually. ICE puts out, just like CBP, enforcement statistics. And it closely tracks with a lot of things that we see every year. But there is one thing, and I just put out a very long piece on this, and I still didn't even scrape the surface of what I saw. I want to delve into it in depth with Jessica. ICE put out detainers this year that if you would add up the homicide arrests from all those detainers of criminal aliens in one year, for the first time ever, they published that data. You know, we... um. We probably reported on a couple dozen illegal alien murders this year. I know Breitbart is one of the few other outlets that does the same. How many do you think there are? Well, it turns out there are 2,500 homicides from foreign nationals from one year's net of detainers of ICE. And this likely is reoccurring every year. We've only had this number from this year. This is the first year I've seen them publish that from this year's detainers, not just those that they apprehended on the backside of sentences for many other years. Folks, we only arrest roughly 9,000 known homicides recorded by FBI's Uniform Crime Statistics every year. 2,500 out of 9,000 illegal aliens only comprise or compose 
4% of the nation's population. Inevitably, a certain number of them are also LPRs, legal immigrants, so it's not quite that dramatic, but that's a hell of a lot more than their share of the population. This is 100% preventable. ICE has just 5,000 deportation officers, and they get this amount of, of crime just from the limited apprehensions they get every year. And that's all published in this report. It's uh, out in my article today. We'll link to in show notes. No effort on the part of Congress to have a budget fight over ISIS funding, over policies of expedited removal, over court involvement in immigration. We always say, do something. Do something about mass murder. Do something. Could we do something about roughly 2,500 foreign national homicides every year in this country? Well, with us today to dissect this is Jessica Vaughn. Um, I mean, she doesn't need much of a introduction, but she works for the Center for Immigration Studies. Whenever I think of safety, security, national security, nexus of immigration, I think of you. Jessica, great to have you back. Good to be with you, Daniel. All righty. So before I vent even further, what are your main takeaways um, from at least the main report put out yesterday by ICE? Yeah, this is ICE's annual enforcement report. Um, overall, removals are up a teeny tiny bit, which is lackluster considering the huge influx of illegal arrivals at the border and the fact that you know, there have been some changes put into place, meaning that more of them should have been removed. There should have been a lot more people in expedited removal, and they're for some reason not showing up in these stats. But most concerning is the results on the interior enforcement front, which is, of course, what affects our public safety most immediately. And the number of interior removals was down by about 10%. And, and so when you look at this over the last few years, what you see is that ICE is basically flatlining. Um, we, I, I, for one, expected to see much more progress um, in removing criminal aliens. There are something like 2 million non-citizens in our country today who've been convicted of crimes, and most of them are at large, and yet ICE is not even removing 100,000 of them each year. And uh, this is a problem, and it's it's... Um, it's not getting any better. Now, uh, to be fair to ICE, they do face a lot of challenges in implementing their policies. They're not getting the money they need from Congress. And there was a border crisis, and they were directed to uh, divert personnel and resources to that border crisis. Uh, but also there are sanctuary jurisdictions that are successful in interfering ICE's work because now they have to go out and track people down on the streets because uh, these criminals aren't being held in jails for them to pick up. But still, it's a very lackluster performance and should be they, there should be more people being removed than there are. They're making some progress in the courts. I know the immigration court dockets are crowded, so it's hard to get their cases um, addressed. But you know, the detained docket is still there and the cases need to be moving faster. Um, they, they need to become more efficient. Uh, and there's not enough um, effort, I think, being made at the highest levels in the administration, including the DHS front office, to 
improve their ability to get other countries to cooperate, for example, to speed up the removal. So it's, it's disappointing. And it's uh, this is not just theoretical. It means that ICE is not removing public safety threats from our country at the pace it should be. Yesterday at the uh, press conference on the removal report, um, acting ICE director Matt Albin said that there were 13,000 fewer criminal aliens removed from the United States this past year than the year before. That that number should not be going down. Wow. I mean, That's... this is, yeah, it, it's not hard work. This is ICE's most basic function, and uh, they're, they're not improving. And we all, as I said, understand the challenges, but this is not acceptable to keep ha- having ICE flatline like this. And flatline, and as you noted, go down a little bit because the um, overall numbers are misleading. It's obvious that ICE was um, diverted to the border. A lot of it had to do with more CBP, just removals there. But in terms of interior enforcement, you said the the arrests and removals, both of them were uh, down about 10%. Right, from 95,000 to about 85,000. To put that number in context, under the peak of interior removals under the Obama administration, it was more like 200,000 from the interior. All right. You're really, okay. I, see, we're only 10 minutes into right. this, and I'm already uh, take that. Because, again, the president came down that escalator in 2015, in the summer of 2015, the infamous speech that will live on in infamy forever, came down that escalator at Trump Tower, and he said, you know, It's not just that we're being taken advantage of illegal aliens, but there is a particular problem that we're not getting the best. And there is a very strong criminal element. And he got a lot of flack for that. But at its core, that is why he won the GOP primary. He wound up getting elected president. And this is the bread and butter issue of his campaign promise. And again, a lot of it, it's it's, it's the courts, it's congressional funding. It's um, the sanctuaries in response to him. It's not his fault, but let's get to that in a minute, what could be done about it. So at the end of the day, as conservatives, as um, pro-law enforcement, as people that care about public safety, as people that support President Trump, you can't just sit back and, hey, hey, you know, he's president. It's it's taken care of. No, we're actually going backwards on very key measures. That's what's concerning me. You mentioned something I want to touch on, Jessica. You mentioned something very important that I didn't fully think about. So the headline quote was interior enforcements go down 10%, but there was a bigger quote, several bigger headlines. One of them was that the total number of people that are under ICE's supervision, albeit not detained, meaning they're out in our communities, meaning they're people not run-of-the-mill illegal aliens. They're illegal aliens that ICE at some point over the last five, 10 years, but accelerating the last few years, have decided to go after and put into proceedings, which usually means that in particular, there's a problem with them. Majority of them will be criminal aliens too. 3.2 million of those people remain at large with just a cadre of 5,000 deportation officers. And that number has gone up 800,000 in two years under under Trump. That's right. That's insane. That, it is. Um, and it 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 gives you a sense of 
how much ICE is spinning its wheels and how dysfunctional our immigration system is, our enforcement apparatus, um, that there are, it's all really almost 3.3 million people that ICE has put into proceedings, but who are still living here. Many of them have work permits. They, they don't, just don't face a threat of enforcement at all. And we're spending millions and millions of dollars of taxpayer money on enforcing immigration laws as little as they are enforced. And still it's, it's almost completely ineffective in actually removing people who are in the country illegally. And, and put that in the context of the very low level of worksite enforcement that's happening. It would be one thing if they were saying, yeah, but you know, we're driving a lot of people out and deterring a lot of people because they can't get jobs. That's not the case either. Uh, and they're not going after overstays and still issuing many, many um, visas for people to come here and talking about expanding those programs. So, you know, we're really not making a lot of progress. Um, but particularly on with respect to criminal aliens, these are the people that almost everyone agrees should be removed and be the highest priority for removal. And we're not even making progress on that. My, my audience is very clued into the criminal justice issue. We talk about endless cases every day that if you look at the profile of murderers and rapists, often, often, often what you're going to find is a career of drunk driving, drugs, firearms, to name a few. Often you'll have burglary and robbery thrown in. Those are the classic, classic um, uh, rap sheets. Uh, Baltimore City cops found that in my hometown of Baltimore, 85 percent of, of homicide offenders in 2017 had a criminal record. Um, the average had nine, um, nine prior arrests. So we have an epidemic, and I'm not going to draw you into the general discussion, epidemic of general jailbreak, general that in and out, cycling in and out, um, criminals barely serving time, recidivating. But when you extrapolate to that to, uh, to a foreign population, so we are essentially harboring at least several million criminal aliens. So these are usually people that ICE has identified. Okay, I want you. Okay, you're here. Drug trafficker, drunk driving, very common. Among this population of people supervised, albeit remaining in our country, August 2016, um, DHS's inspector general put out a report. This is when the docket was 1 million less, 1 million fewer people. They found that in some field offices, there was one agent per 10,000 released aliens. And they found that, quote, a heavy workload, limited oversight of non-detained aliens in that geographical area that ICE had flagged as risks to national security. Yeah, the this is it's just I, the odds of ICE actually being able to remove people is just enormously small. And, and it's, you know, it's the courts and it's just really the basic problem, though, is what it boils down to is the fact that most of them are not detained. Uh, and, and that's the greatest need in terms of funding for ICE. They could do a lot more with the agents they have if they could actually keep people in custody pending removal, because people would not challenge their removal. They, they want to get released and go home if they know that, you know, it's, it's a slam dunk that they're going to be sent home. Um, but releasing them, allowing them to 
blend back into the woodwork and, and, and not having any consequences for not showing up in court and so on. That's what makes this all so slippery for ICE is that we're, that's why they're spinning their wheels is, is because they can't actually remove people. And that's how immigration violations, even though they are civil violations, they can't, these, um, the, the law cannot be enforced unless we can actually have custody of people to send them home. Now, you know, I'm the first to agree that we can't forcibly remove every person, but we're not even detaining all of the criminals who would be eligible no, for detention. Right. Se- several million. And, and, and so it's important. There's talk about record high 51,000 people locked up, grabbed by ICE. But this puts a totally different perspective on it because this means that that just what is it like point zero um, that that means that ninety eight point four percent of the aliens that have been caught, which usually means targeted for a reason by ICE. Hands on. ICE had hands on them. Hands on them. Ninety eight point four percent remain at large. And and look, I know this from my research on general criminal justice This is a growing problem with you know, Chicago police officers, for example, with increasingly the system choosing probation over incarceration, you'll have one police officer supervising 300 parolees. Here, I think the ratio is much worse. The number of deportation officers is about a fourth the size of um, of NYPD, and yet they're national in scope, international really, dealing with the world's problems. I mean, we, we've just become a dumping ground for the world. My concern, Jessica, is this. The administration, conservative media, other organizations, they focused on the wall. But to me, this is more important. When when they got funding, they got a little bit for the wall. The one thing we've never gotten funding for is ICE removals and detentions. And my concern is this. Let's say tomorrow we shut off illegal immigration. There's never a single illegal immigrant that ever gets into the country again. The amount of resources we would need because of past mistakes just to get rid of the dangerous or criminal element of illegal aliens is enormous. Right. And there are tools within the law that Congress has provided to ICE to make this more efficient, like the tool of expedited removal. I wanted to get to that. Well, can you give us a state of play on that? What Whatever happened with that? Well, there has been a directive to ICE to expand use of expedited removal. And they um, they issued a new policy saying that um, well, and, and I should back up to say Congress gave ICE this tool to say that if, if people have been in the country less than two years, then they are subject to and entered illegally, then they're subject to what's called expedited removal, which means they don't get their day in court in front of an immigration judge. It just means that uh, an ICE supervisor reviews the order of removal and they must be detained and they can be removed. When this was enacted in 1996, the Bush administration said, "Okay, fine, but we're only going to use it for people who've been in the country less than two weeks and only within, I think it was 150 miles of the border. Um, And so they made very limited use of it. Um, But Trump and his administration have said, no, we're going to expand use of expedited removal. And they issued the policy, but it's not being carried out. There, there has been one lawsuit, but the rest of the country is not subject to it. And I was told by an ICE uh, field office director that they have been told to stand down on expedited removal because of what's happened in one 
district. Yeah. Federal they, district they, court. They do this every time. They're servile Even, to every single judge. And 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 literally they're kicked out of review. That was the whole the whole point of expedited removal is that Congress said it's unreviewable by a federal court or even an immigration judge. And it was, they literally saw this pie graph that we're gonna put up right here, right now on the screen here, this pie graph from ICE's report, where you see 3.3 million people. They saw this in 1996, that you can't litigate your way out of an invasion, out of, out of, out of a breach of sovereignty, that if you're gonna have everyone gets their day in court, well, then they can't be detained because it piles up too much. And you're never gonna have you know enough space for millions of people. And you know then once the legal profession gets a hold of it, you're done. You gotta have expedited removal. Right. So Trump- And these are yeah. routine cases. It's not hard to prove that someone yeah. is here. Usually the alien admits to yeah. just having arrived. They don't have a paper trail in the country. It's not that hard to do. And yet it's not being done because of fear of litigation. And we're, yeah, we're, we're not talking about LPRs, you know, legal residents, right. you know, whether the crime was a deportable thing. By definition, expedited removal is only for illegal immigrants. And it was supposed to be for anyone who cannot prove to the satisfaction of the ICE agent and supervisor that he resided continuously for two years in the country. And again, I, I, I don't blame the Trump administration for water under the bridge. You know, what has happened what has piled up the last number of years, but the idea was last in first out was to at least draw a line in the sand. Okay, we're gonna tag everyone with ER now. So so all of the recent ones will be out um and you won't have lawfare. Uh but you know Which by the way would apply to all of these recent arrivals of people who never, you know, who showed up and were caught and released, family members with kids and never filed an asylum application or showed up for the hearing that that all but can, the clock is can be demonstrated and then we have their arrival date it's not hard to establish how long they've been here as soon as they don't show up for their court hearing they should be on that list for expedited removal but, 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 but jessica but it's not happening the clock is ticking i mean this wave started summer of 2018 you know and intensified i mean we're coming up on that two-year mark and if you don't tag them with it now Right. Um, but but impeachment, I mean, hot takes, you know, I mean, th this is this is the problem we have. Gosh, um, so much well, more. What to, the courts yeah. want to do is make it the burden on the U.S. government to show that they haven't been here for two years when the law says it's on the alien. Like if they can't establish that they've been here longer than two years, that's their problem, not in, ours. In, in other words, theoretically, if you read the 1996 law, IRA, IRA that provision of it, uh, theoretically, let's say the guy was here eight years. But the officer's like, hey, I, I only see um, electric bills for, for a year and a half. Uh, I don't think you're here. That determination, right? The, the Congressional Research Service, CRS report on expedited removal says the determination over whether you qualify for ER is unreviewable. And again, there was a philosophy behind it. That was the whole point, because the point was, well, you're illegal anyway. If right. you could absolutely demonstrate that you're here more than two years, hey, let's check out what your story is. But let's say not, then so what? You're you're illegal anyway. We're not applying it to LPRs, so there's no harm done. Um, I want to get and to, these yeah. are mostly criminals. Just because of the way ICE operates, we have to always remember that the eighty six the only people that ICE has hands on are people that they found in a jail. Eighty six percent. Um, this 
I think I think I have it yeah. here in my. It's article. actually more than that. I did a review of uh-huh. um, the last few years of every removal case of ISIS, and I found that more like ninety five percent of the remove people removed by ICE from the interior are people that they found through one of their criminally focused. Removal programs, programs. whether it's uh, criminal alien program, 287G, gang operations, you name it. There's a very tiny share of ISIS removal caseload. That's people that were collaterals or, you know, just immigration violators. They don't have time to worry about or work site. You know, those would be the only examples of non-criminal. So when we're talking about having a funding battle over funding ICE, getting the courts out of the way, implementing current law and expedited removal this is not a ma- this is a matter of holding obama's baseline of immigration policy deport criminals not grandmothers that was his whole thing that is when we talk about that docket that's essentially what we're talking about we're not even talking about for the most part especially until recently identity theft which i believe is a serious crime because again for the most part you don't have state officials going around locking people up in jail for that it tar- some of the recent targeted um, employment worksite enforcement might rope those in like in Mississippi. But for the most part, even those people don't get caught. It's you're literally arrested. Um, let me give an example of something. So and I want to transition this into the just the degree of criminality we see from this population, which, again, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that when you have people that run across the border or overstay their visas, you and I don't do that stuff. I mean, it takes a certain living on the wild side to do that. Now, you could have a certain degree that's desperate but not harmful and won't necessarily harm you, but there's going to be a heck of a lot of them that are very problematic. So ICE published, and we're going to put up here on the screen the the chart from ICE, the table of offenses of those that they got handcuffs on this year. And you look, for example, 74,000 drunk driving incidences and 68,000 traffic offenses. So what an ICE official told me yesterday, when we say traffic offenses, we don't mean, you know, speeding, because if they're speeding, you're going to get a citation. You're not arrested. If you're not arrested, even in the most aggressive 287G jurisdictions, it's unlikely it's going to trigger ICE involvement. It's reckless driving. It's a lot of the stuff we report on here. Um numerous numerous crimes um vehicular homicide stuff like that yeah and 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 then and then we turn to the homicides of just those caught this year in ice detainers so what is that that is 2500 murders 56,000 assaults 14,500 sex crimes 5,000 robberies 2500 kidnappings that's a huge share of the national kidnappings that's very much endemic of illegal aliens And I mean, Jessica, I cannot think of another public safety threat that is this enormous, but at the same time is this preventable. Mm -hmm. That's right. Exactly right. That's an astonishing number of homicides attributed to uh, deportable aliens that ICE discovers. And and especially when you, you know, you remember that they're not getting all of them necessarily. These are the ones that they took action against that they knew about. Um, It's astonishing. And and a lot of this has to do with the fact that, you know, a a hugely disproportionate share of crime that occurs is related to gangs. 
Mm. Um, you know, especially the most violent crime that occurs is gang related. And we have seen an enormous uptick in the presence of transnational foreign gang members being able to game our system and get into our country. I mean, this is a deliberate um, campaign, really, um, franchise expansion by some of the Central American gangs, MS-13 and 18th Street, who deliberately wanted to boost their ranks here in the United States. And so they've sent uh, thousands of young men, boys mostly, some men, and we've seen a, a huge uptick in violent crime. These gangs are more violent than domestic American gangs, uh, and they're younger, and they're causing a huge problem. And and they, you know, to commit a murder is uh, not un, you know, it's not that uncommon among this population. There are more of them here, and I think that's why we're seeing the number yeah. of homicides go up, and. And there is a de direct correlation with the influx of unaccompanied minors who were involved in gangs. There, and um, it, it's a huge problem, and it can be solved through enforcing our immigration laws. Um, that's that's the reality. Uh, that ICE has the tools to address this problem, but they're not allowed to because of the uh, political. Um, views of many state and local officials who want to shun ICE and keep ICE from doing their job and keep their own law enforcement agencies from doing it with ICE. Okay, so just looking here um, on this local report, you know, this is the first year I've noticed they put out a report of data by field office, mm -hmm. apprehensions of criminals by each field office. So one thing that I do have to give the administration credit, they've been more transparent with data, better data than we've ever seen. And Jessica, I found this to be enormous. When we're talking about just A, how much of a security threat sanctuaries are leaving thousands of murderers, rapists, drug traffickers, gang members, um, drunk drivers in our country needlessly, but also in demonstrating the universe of criminality among illegal aliens is this chart. So you look at the enforcement numbers and you look at the Texas jurisdictions and you see every month 1400 1500 total administrative arrests in Dallas and you look you know Texas has a lot of illegal aliens it's the number 2 state but the number 1 state by far by a mile is California California for example LA metro according to Pew this is a little bit old but according to Pew has two and a half times as many illegal aliens as the Dallas metro so I went to L.A. and I saw instead of fifteen hundred, about five hundred a month. And then I was like, all right, maybe some of Texas's numbers are juiced up from the border. But then I looked at New Orleans. I looked at Salt Lake City, which aren't sanctuaries. And so they were higher than L.A. and San Francisco, respectively. So that tells me two things. There's a hell of a lot of criminals they're harboring. But B, all these numbers when ICE puts out, OK, this is the number of uh, robberies and murder. I mean, murders, we get most of them, but certainly assaults and and uh, DUIs committed by illegals. No, that's just the small slice they get. Most illegals live in sanctuaries that they're not getting right. 
That's right. And it's disturbing. And it shows that the sanctuary policies are succeeding and that we're allowing them to succeed and that this is having a, a profound effect on the safety of these communities. And and, um, you know, I was told once by um, the a former field office director for ICE in Los Angeles that the L.A. County jail releases 50 uh, deportable criminal aliens every single day. And yet they're only removing that small number of people that ICE is getting um, in, in nowadays uh, that, you know, they're, they're, their capacity right now is just woefully inadequate to the problem and that it needs to be addressed. Uh, the administration is addressing it, trying to through the court system, because everything that they try to do Otherwise, is you know people find some way to to try to block it, uh, and I think that that's probably the only lasting solution to this problem is to um, you know. But I don't really like having to put all of our uh, hope in what the Supreme Court is going to say about ICE's authorities and ability to work with state and local law enforcement agencies. Um, they just have a lot more um, energy at trying to block this stuff than you know, our government has to defend its own authorities that Congress gave them. So, you know, I'm, I'm just not all that hopeful. I, I mean, I think there are workarounds to sanctuary jurisdictions, but um, it's going to be a regular problem. And, you know, we have to prevent these people from getting here to begin with. That's, that's yeah. the biggest part but, of it. But, but this is something that everyone understands. How could you harbor other countries' criminals? That is a line I quoted from an illegal alien who was attacked by a another illegal alien in um forget which county in Colorado and, or, and it was in Aurora. You might have seen it from two weeks ago. It was around Thanksgiving time. It was an amazing quote we had from an illegal alien. It was like, "How come this guy wasn't deported?" I mean, even he understood that, and because it was it was a you know repeat offender who was let go under the sanctuary policies in Colorado. And the, the fact that we don't have a movement pushing the president, pushing Mitch McConnell to engage in a knockdown drag out fight, we will fund safety and security and we will not fund sanctuary cities. That is the only way to leverage them. This I, I is a no brainer for politicians of both parties to embrace this issue of sanctuary jurisdictions and stopping it. I don't understand. I mean, I know that the sanctuary politicians, like whether it's Mayor Bill de Blasio or the governor of California or wherever, um, they have no shame. They think it's a winner for them. But most Americans and immigrants understand this issue and want something done about it. And and it's the Republican uh, leaders and many of the you know members of Congress who and and governors who are failing to yep. take up this issue because they seem to be afraid of it. I, and I I cannot understand why it is the biggest no brainer in the whole array of immigration issues out there. This is how bad even the Los Angeles County Sheriff knows what a problem these policies are to the extent that he's built a workaround against the state sanctuary policy to pay contractors to find the illegal immigrants in the jail and turn them over to ICE contractors to give them to ICE for removal. Spending millions of dollars on this just to avoid actually having direct contact with ICE, but he knows that it has to be done. 
anyone with a brain knows that there's a lot of bad people trying to come in and and i it just there's only one ron DeSantis, only one republican governor who seems to really be championing this he's the most popular governor in america according to the polls the polling was phenomenal on this issue it it cuts across every demographic but republicans i guess think just I don't know. I, I don't know what they think, but they controlled all three branches as the rise of sanctuaries, according to Federation for American Immigration Reform, almost doubled um, You know, since Trump took office. Again, it's not his fault. That was a response to him. But but what he does need to do is respond to their response and um, one public safety threat after another. But, but and, just and go. Local yeah. leaders need to also, because a lot of this is happening at the state and local mm. level. And yeah, there's there's a federal solution possibly, but it's going to take will to impose that also. This this has to be fought city by city, county by county, I think. Exactly. I mean, I know from Ron DeSantis's office, I've spoken to them, and they're looking at what you and I are talking about, that how do we make it that any illegal alien that interacts with government in some way, they're pulled over, um, they they cycle into the county jails to pay fines. We need to know about that. We need to know about that citizens, citizenship status so we don't have this recidivism. The first crime committed by any illegal in this country should be the last one. So we have one state and a prominent state that's doing that. I cannot really point to other states. I mean, some states have already been pretty good, like Alabama, but there's very few that, that even yeah. yeah, Texas. Texas, although, yeah, there's questions whether some of the cities are fully um, cooperating with it or maybe they're cooperating with the the letter of the law. But again, there's a lot of, as you as you all know, a lot of times ICE, if they're first timers, they don't know about them. So if you don't take it to the Florida level of being proactive to 87G, you're going to miss a lot of them. We could go on forever, but I want to get to the the next problem. Okay, so the people come here on their own illegally and we don't get rid of them even though they're criminals. Then we invite in more problems. So in your uh, old job, you worked as a consular official, the State Department, vetting foreign nationals who want to come in. A lot of Americans didn't know about this, but I'm sure you did, um, based on the Pensacola attack. So evidently, we have a program of inviting foreign militaries to train here, 5,000 of them, 852 Saudis, God knows how many Afghanis and possibly, I would imagine, based on our military relationships, Egyptians, Saudis, mm-hmm. that the government, Turks, Iraqis, Lebanese, Tur- Jordi- Jordanian. Lebanese. I just retweeted an article on my Twitter account. Um, a lot of good reporting from Tony Badrin on how the Lebanese armed forces are essentially Hezbollah, but we continue to fund them, train. Anyway, so. Some of the governments, not in Lebanon, by the way, they are controlled by Hezbollah, but, you know, some of the governments, Egypt, MBS and Saudi, they're they're more reform minded, but their people aren't. And they can't guarantee that. What what in the, where did this come from? This comes from um, the Defense Department's um, perceived mission of trying to build armies militaries around the world, um, trying to strengthen uh, the the armies and and trying to develop good relationships. Basically, it's a public diplomacy effort. Um, and, And I think a very optimistic theory that if we help out all these other foreign militaries, that they will think that we're great people and have want to have a great relationship with us and never do anything wrong. 
And, you know, it's it's a it's kind of a, a Pollyanna-ish public diplomacy effort in the military arena. And it's also um, a way for them to justify uh, um, keeping some of their institutions going here in the United States, the same principle that the higher education industry uses to, to beg for more and more mm. student visa arrivals every year, is that if they bring in all these foreign military trainees, that supports their institutions. And, and the Saudi government has been paying to bring in hundreds of their trainees every year to places like uh, Pensacola and other places in the country. And they pay the Department of Defense to do that. And the Department of Defense loves that. And um, I guess, you know, it it it's it's a feel good thing for them also. But the problem is, is that, as you pointed out, these foreign countries, even they can't fully vet the people who are accepted into their militaries. Uh, so they don't even know who they have. And when we approve the visas for these individuals, we give incredible deference to the other government in vouching for the individuals who are coming to the United States for training. Um, and a lot of that is because we, we you know, it's it's just um, it's it, it's the the mentality of the State Department is like, yeah. OK, yeah, we trust you. You're our ally. We trust that you're only going to send, you know, above board people to the United States. And we don't want to, we, you know, don't like asking too many questions. It makes us feel uncomfortable. So we will take your word for it that the people that you're sending to the United States are going to uh, be fine. No trouble at all. Well, I mean, there are two problems with that. One is that uh, some of them aren't. And, and you know, <laughs> sadly, tragically, that played out in Pensacola the other day um, that, you know, this guy is someone who we, sh you know, nobody uh, did adequate vetting on. We didn't use the, the tools that were available to really vet them. But also there's the problem of people just going AWOL. Uh, there are more than 150 Afghan military trainees who've come to the United States and just disappeared. And most of them we've never found. We have no oh, idea. Well, worse, Jessica, I got data and I'll try to dig it up in a minute from an ICE official. I asked them about it. We did catch a lot of them. Guess what? A lot of them wound up applying and successfully getting some sort of adjustment of status. After oh, yeah. Going AWOL. They, yeah, they try to convince, they can convince a judge that they will be persecuted in their home yep. country because they defected. But it's, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They, you know, that it's, it's uh, unbelievable. So, but, it, but this is a bigger problem than people realize. As you said, there's 5,000 people of foreign militaries. And, and now the Trump administration has improved the vetting and, and tried to implement things like requiring applicants to provide information on their social media accounts. Mm. Um, but this, of course, this guy had a social media um, paper trail, right? Oh, yes. A and a, a very alarming one that would have been apparent to anybody who had done the most cursory checking of him. Um, and but but the Trump administration policy uh, requiring people to disclose their social media accounts is being, of course, challenged in court <laughs> and they can't fully implement it. Uh, and because they have First Amendment rights overseas to immigrate. Right. I mean, you know. Yeah. yeah. And and but, you know, what we need to remember is that e even if this 
we are checking it, we need to be doing it on a recurring basis because this guy was admitted to the country for a three-year program. And so you can't- And they're often young and developing. I mean, 18, 19, 20 years old. Yeah, he he was on Twitter starting in 2012 and um, had a record of following a lot of uh, radical um, uh, tw- Twitter accounts and and radical um, uh, individ- you know people pursuing extremist views and trying to uh, proselytize extremist views in Saudi Arabia. Um, so you know we need to do the vetting before they get here and after they've been here, but we also simply need to rethink whether we should be doing all these training programs at all. What benefit are we getting from this, uh, from allowing these individuals into the country to do this training? What's, you know, we need to require the Defense Department to justify this program. Um, And, you know, I I think that we're going to find that this is not so essential to our homeland security or our national security to be bringing these people in. It's just it's, just, you know, it's just not worth it. I mean, Jessica, you know where I live, you know, the landscape of greater Baltimore. It would be like me saying, you know, there's a lot of problems downtown there, bloods and crips and gang warfare. A lot of what we talked about happens there. You know what? I'm going to go downtown and take people from multiple multiple sides of the gang wars, bring them to my house for some coffee. You know, we'll see what could happen. I mean, that's what it's like doing the the end game of any national security should be homeland security, just like your own home. I wish I could save the world, but I got to protect my home. You'll never you never counterintuitively bring the problems in very large numbers, because what concerns me is so there were 850 of these from Saudi Arabia. But what nobody nobody is talking about, and this is a much broader discussion, and we could even rope in governmental a- actors. Let, let me just give MBS the you know, benefit of the doubt that he's a reform-minded dude, and we're not going to have problems directly at a statecraft level from him. But you have the just jihadist grassroots there in many of these countries that will come here. But then you have – so you have 40,000 foreign students from there. So, I mean, they're not going on military bases. They're going to – into um, more just civilian universities. So that's, to me, of 40,000 people, how many of them have social medias like this Al-Shamrani guy? And then we have 350,000 or so every year from China, which there's a lot of great people that have prospered here from China, a lot of good people, but they're at a statecraft level. Their modus operandi is known to use their foreign nationals as a conduit to get in, um, to to steal intellectual property, espionage, right. everything. To get jobs so that they at, have at access. At some point, you, you, you know this, we have caseworkers at USCIS and DHS, we have caseworkers at State Department. How in the world could you go through those type of numbers? You cannot. It's impossible. I mean, some vetting, like the social media vetting, can be done using technology with, uh-huh. you know, certain kinds of, um, algorithms and searches that they can do, but it's really, it's, we have to accept that it is impossible there until someone invents a machine that can read somebody's mind, which is never going to happen. We're not going to be able to fully vet people who come to our and country. Who, so who we need these to, people. Yeah. But yeah. Like, 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 let, let me just ask a technical question. I'm, this might sound a little bit, 
a little bit rudimentary, but I, but I think it's very true. I'm sure they have language specialists and things like that working for these departments. I get it. But for example, what border agents have told me all the time is a lot of them are very fluent in Spanish as much as English. So when you know each other, you like I, I could look at someone in America and I could tell their politics. You, you, you know, if they're a liberal or conservative, culturally, religion, you, you, you know it. But when you try to put yourself in a foreign language and culture, that becomes very hard. So they tell me all the time when you had this fraud at the border with the UACs being like 21 years old, they'll say they're 16 or something like that. They could break them. They could communicate in a way they could break them. But they would talk about Chinese coming in and you know speak Mandarin. And I think this could be applied in many cases to Arabic in, from the Middle East. At best, you'll have a guy who's a Mormon who went on Mormon missions. They picked up a little bit of Mandarin. They rely on a translation service. I mean, the Chinese are really smart. You, you have all these names that sound similar. The language is very difficult. They're going to send virgins with you know uh, a clear, clean slate. How are you going to vet that? Who vets that? Who has the capabilities to do that? It's impossible. It's an impossible task. And that's why we need to take a good hard look at these programs and saying, how is this a benefit to our country to be admitting these tens of thousands of people every single year? It, it just, you know, it's just not possible to justify it in my view, that the downsides far outweigh any advantages that accrue to, certainly yeah. not to our, I don't think they accrue to our country at all. They accrue to particular institutions and individuals who make money off of these programs uh, and to the, you know, the foreign nationals themselves. Yeah. It's, it's about uh, revenue for them and, and um, feathering their bottom line it's not bringing an, uh, any interest to the country as a, or any uh, benefits to the country as a whole. And so I think it's really tough to justify having them at all. And we just need to reduce the numbers. And I think we're going to find that the sky is not going to fall, that, that people coming to bona fide programs are, are still going to be able to get in and, yep. and do fine here, but we're not going to have these um, kind of, visa mills that exist in education, and we're not going to facilitate the massive technology transfer and intellectual property transfer that has gone on for so long. We just don't need to do this. You know, one more thing, and, and this is going to wind up being one of our longest shows, uh, you know, in, in a while, but I want to come full circle back to traditional legal immigration, visa mills from colleges, visa mills from farms and agriculture bringing in national security, criminal threats. What I find funny after our listeners listening to almost an hour of this discussion, lots of good information. Now in that vein, let's just discuss one final thing. Yesterday, the House voted on an agricultural illegal immigrant amnesty bill that would essentially give amnesty to over a, a million existing illegals or alleged who are allegedly working in agriculture right now illegally. 34 Republicans voted for it in addition to the Democrats. The Trump administration has been kind of dubious and silent. Um, they have not issued a statement of, statement of administration policy threatening a veto. Um, there's a lot of discussion about wages, farms, but I want to focus on one thing based on what we just said. Isn't that the conduit in the pipeline of the cartels in rural areas, everything we're talking about? 
that if that you go and give them amnesty. How many times, Jessica, have we seen this guy committed this heinous crime? Oh, and he worked at this dairy farm. Why? No one's talking again about the security aspect of it. No, because um, there's this great myth that they like to perpetrate that we're going to find the bad guys in the Apple. You know, they're all vetted. You know, we're not going to let anyone with a criminal record or a criminal past in. It's nonsense. Um, The cartels and smuggling organizations know our immigration system better than Americans do. And they uh, find the weakest link in our programs and they will get people in, there will be people who, you know, who are able to get a green card under this amnesty, just like every other amnesty in the past. Like one of the world trade center bombers, you know, pretended to be, he was a cab driver Mm. from Pakistan, pretended to be uh, a watermelon picker in Manhattan and got through. We don't have the capacity as a government to do what it takes to actually give a real vetting. But even if we did, you know, like I said, there's no machine that can read people's mind or what they're going to do in the future. It's a risk and it's, it's just not necessary. And, um, and, and we, we know that it's just uh, opening up opportunity for people to, who mean to cause us harm to get through our system either through fraud or just because, you know, we are so generous and who we allow to come in here and it's just asking for it. And, um, it's, it's not necessary and, and should not take place. There's no, there's no benefit to Americans or to our country to have this massive amnesty. Um, and, Regardless of the details of this particular amnesty, what we know from the DACA experience is that simply talking about an amnesty is enough to set off a new wave of illegal immigration of people who just hear that we're giving amnesty. Central American children, you come with a child that all started in 2012 from the DACA amnesty. I mean, we are just asking for it. You're right. We have become the global dumping ground for espionage, for terrorism, for drugs, for gangs. I mean, it just, do we not have enough of our own social criminal problems? I mean, it just, we we can't pick our citizens, but we could pick who we invite in. And this is why Madison said in a Republican government, it's the whole of the people that chooses who to bring in. It's not any defense industry, any one particular visa pork, it's got to belong to all of us because America is not a spreadsheet. It's, 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 a, it's a civil society that people have to be fit for that society. It's the culture. It's, it's the security. I mean, all we can do is, is, is talk about this, is expose it. You, you did a great job. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's make this a more regular occurrence, all right? All right. Good to talk with you, Daniel. Alrighty, folks, that was Jessica Vaughn, Center for Immigration Studies. We are way out of time. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all. This has been another episode of the CR Podcast.